0: It says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat in it under the shade, till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And so it damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on a plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. And Father, we ask as we open the word of God this morning that, Lord, you would just speak to us by your Holy Spirit and that you'd give to us an ear to hear what you're trying to say to us as this part of your church as we go through this portion of the word of God this morning. Lord, we ask even right now that you take away the distractions in our hearts and minds and that you would keep away any effort even of, Lord, the devil himself to keep our mind unable to hear and respond to what it is you're saying to us or our heart to be receptive, Lord, to what the Word of God would want to do within us supernaturally. So, Lord, we ask help us. We pray that you would help us to hear what the voice of your Spirit is trying to say to each and every one of us through this portion of the word of God. Lord, you know what we're asking. Please prepare us accordingly. And we ask now that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience the demonstration of your spirit and power speaking directly to our heart through the word of God. Bless the scripture. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, educating children, whether it be certainly as a parent or whether it be maybe in the role of a teacher, certainly requires a great deal of patience. And nowhere do I think that is probably more true than in God's education process with you and I as people. Uh, quite frankly, we can be pretty difficult at times as children and as students trying to learn the difference between what's right and what's wrong. And from what I've experienced in my own life and by observation, God's patience during the education process is absolutely incredible. I mean, God's willingness to bear with us and have tolerance and be very slow and patient with us, God works with us even through our bad attitudes until we finally understand it and a lot of times just get the point and i think that's really what's being portrayed in this passage as we close out the book of jonah this morning god's patience in the education process here now with jonah the prophet the contrast here in chapter 4 of jonah's quick temper or jonah's hot temper and God's incredible patience is, I mean, utterly ridiculous, the contrast that's seen. And really, I, you could almost title really this section as well. I mean, it almost could be God's divine anger management program. I mean, this is like God's you know, anger management class with Jonah the prophet to the nth degree here. And it's important as we come into chapter 4 this morning again to briefly recall the story of the narrative. Remember, God's patience was first seen and that these wicked people of Nineveh, a pagan people who did not know Yahweh God, it tells us that they were wicked and violent in their evil ways and their evil and violence was sort of beginning to cross the threshold where God in his righteousness was now going to have to judge them as a righteous and a holy God. And so God, knowing that his judgment was going to have to fall upon these people because of their rebellious and violent and evil ways, God also being very loving and merciful and compassionate, wanting to spare these people, not wanting to see them have to fall under the righteous judgment of God, desiring to relent from that, wanting people to confess and have a chance to turn away from their sins so he can forgive them. Remember, what we saw is God gave this assignment to one of his current prophets, Jonah, to go to these people and to preach the word of the Lord to them, to give them a warning that the judgment of God was on the horizon and they needed to turn. And initially, remember, we saw Jonah adamantly and stubbornly resisted the assignment. I mean, he wanted nothing to do with going and speaking to these people and giving them a chance to be spared by God. A lot of the reasons is because of the reputation they had. They were barbaric and cruel people. And Jonah probably did not like these people as well. So Jonah rebelled. He disobeyed God's will. And after some rather strong efforts of God to convince jonah to turn him around to get his attention after god worked with him ultimately jonah went and preached to the people god's message of warning that they needed to hear and surprisingly if you look back in chapter 3 verse 5 jonah preaches to these wicked people really a rather rough sermon with kind of a bad attitude 40 days in judgment and it says verse 5 of chapter 3 so the people of nineveh believe God, proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. In fact, even their very king put forth an edict that said to tell the people to turn from their evil ways and to have a national prayer meeting and to beg God for mercy. It tells us in chapter 8 there that the king put forth this edict saying let everyone turn from his evil way, from the violence that's in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from His fierce anger, so that we may not perish. So there's there's widespread spiritual breakthrough. People are repenting, they're turning to God, looking for mercy. Chapter 10 of verse 3, read it there with me, look at it before we go into chapter 4. It says, so God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that He had said He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Now, the reason that God here forgives them and has mercy upon them, turns away his judgment, is because the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 9 and Psalm 86 that God's nature is that he is ready to forgive. It doesn't just say God's willing to forgive. The Bible says God's actually ready to forgive. The idea is he's, he's actually waiting to do it. He's hoping to be able to forgive. That's the nature of God. It tells us as well in the book of Ezekiel that God finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It tells us as well in Micah 7 that God actually delights in giving people mercy. The idea is God finds pleasure in being able to be merciful to people who've made horrible messes of their lives. God finds enjoyment being able to be merciful and compassionate and forgiving to people if they're willing to look to God in the midst of their failure. Now, one would expect that at this point in the book, that you would read in chapter 4, verse 1, something like this, and it pleased Jonah that so many people responded to God's word and that the Lord was able to bring such change in a wicked city and to show them his mercy and his grace. That's what you would expect to read. But instead, you read chapter 3, verse 10, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster. He didn't bring it upon them, chapter 4, verse 1. But this displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry we see the exact opposite of what you would expect notice what pleased god in bringing about his will lies being changed god sparing people from judgment it actually greatly displeased jonah and it says he was filled with anger over this and please don't miss the language there in verse one the hebrew even makes it more intense jonah wasn't just surprised by what happened he wasn't just maybe you know kind of bummed like man i was mm, i was really hoping it wasn't going to go that way the language says he was displeased adjective exceedingly the idea there is he was really upset and bothered by this and it says also jonah became angry the hebrew is a word that literally means to be hot with anger or to be boiling with rage This is how Jonah feels about this. He's actually very, very bothered and upset. He's vexed, and he is boiling mad that God didn't just smoke these people and judge them. This is God's servant here. This is the one who went and spoke to them. This reveals Jonah's heart was still rustling through a few things. He had a little bit of growth still necessary in him. And as we look at this, what pleased God to do did not line up with Jonah's personal perspective. And because what God did did not line up with Jonah's personal perspective, Jonah now finds himself, we see in this chapter, wrestling with feelings of displeasure. He's feeling disappointed. He's frustrated. He's angry. And he's not just upset about what happened. He's actually displeased and angry at God himself. You can tell by the way he's talking to God. He's actually angry at God. And Jonah reminds us that sometimes God's will and sometimes the way that God works in a situation, what God may allow, maybe what God may do or not do, it may not always be what we prefer. It may not be what God allows or what God unfolds may not be what our preference is. But let us humbly remember as human beings, he is God. He's God. It tells us in Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. See, given that he's God, he, he does kind of have the prerogative and the right to be able to do what he pleases, to be able to work in the ways that he wants as he seems best. And knowing the nature of God from the word of God, we know that, that God is good that God is, is all-wise, that he knows the beginning from the end, that he's perfect, his will and matters is always what's best ultimately. And though my human preference may not be what God is doing or what God has done, that doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. It doesn't mean that God's not concerned about me. It often means that God typically simply just has a higher purpose. He has a much bigger perspective. And many a times... It's often just my ability to not be wise enough to see yet why God worked the way that he did or maybe why God allowed what God allowed. And and I'm not aware of what God's orchestrating. And Jonah also reminds us that sometimes in our weak human nature, we may, when God doesn't work according to our preference, find ourselves struggling with feelings like being displeased. And we may in our humanity even honestly become angry about what God's allowed or what God does or what God doesn't do. And we may find ourselves struggling because it contradicts our human desires and our human perspective and that natural struggle happens within us. Let's be very real. We start to feel maybe disillusioned or disappointed and and, and even maybe upset or angry in some ways. But Isaiah 55 reminds us this in verse 8 and 9, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, by faith, and I emphasize by faith because my feelings may be strongly in a different place than where faith needs to be. And my feelings may be very strong with disappointment or, or, or even anger or frustration or whatever, and my thoughts may be causing me to think, "I just this just does, this doesn't seem right. It shouldn't have happened this way, or it should have happened that way." And, and, and our thoughts and feelings can be doing, but by faith, we have to embrace the truth of the word of God, that God's ways and God's thoughts supersede our ways and our thoughts in our finite humanity and our limited ability to be able to see and understand all things to be able to operate in ways where we could somehow grasp always what God's doing how God thinks about people is higher than the ways that I think about people And how God thinks about situations and and makes decisions is in a much higher plane of reasoning and wisdom and knowledge than, than I could ever fully attain to and understand. And the ways God works are going to be far higher in their processes than in my capacity to understand the ways and the workings of God. There's always going to be this gap between us and God. See, the reality is this, with God, there will always be a level of mystery to some degree. Because the reality is this, I find for myself, if God were small enough for me to figure out, he probably wouldn't feel big enough for me to worship. But it's because he's so awesome and I can know at the same time he's good and that his ways are above my ways and his thoughts are above my thoughts. There's always gonna be, I have to know this gap of understanding. And so it no might matter what my feelings are doing or my thoughts are doing, I have to by faith say, you know what, the issue's on my end. And I know who God is and I know what God's like and I may not be able to wrap my mind around it or grasp it mentally And I may be experiencing feelings of displeasure or even anger, but I must humbly accept it's the weakness in my humanity and my limited understanding of things. And though we may even be displeased or angry, listen, that does not mean that we're right and God's wrong. Never make that mistake. No matter how strong your feelings or thoughts may be, God's never wrong. He's never been wrong. He can't be wrong. He's 100% perfect. In fact, one of the statements that I love in the book of Revelation that gives us a picture around the throne of God is it says that everyone around the throne of God is saying, righteous and true are all your ways. It's one of the things they're saying in eternity. Righteous and true are all your ways. Which tells me that when I get out of this body of flesh with my finite mind and my weakness and my frailties and my limited perspective of the, the dynamics of all things that exist in the universe and creation, that, that when you step through the veil into eternity, somehow in that eternal glorified body, when you look at the throne of God, it's all going to be clear God, everything. Everything you did, it was right. It was just, there was nothing, everything you did, God, it was all perfect. It was absolutely perfect, and somehow we'll see that when we step into that realm. So we have to have a willingness now to work through our feelings, and, and listen, to, to, to do that is okay, God can handle it. You can tell, look with me as we go on at verse 2, God can handle our feelings. Jonah, when he's experiencing great displeasure, exceeding displeasure, and even becomes angry, it says, verse 2, that he prayed to the Lord, So he honestly does, truthfully, what is really the most healthy thing to do when you're displeased about a situation or when you're feeling angry. There it is right there. Pray about it. Talk it through with the Lord. The best way to process any misunderstanding is not to run off. That's not how you process a misunderstanding in a relationship, shut down and run away from somebody. The best way to process a misunderstanding is to talk through it. Jonah's having a misunderstanding with God here. And because of that, he lets God know how he feels he kind of airs his feelings out here in verses two and three and god though he's 100 percent right he patiently listens to jonah and he lets him blow all his smoke and, and god's amazing here i mean he shows me a whole lot about relationships he's 100 accurate but he lets jonah express how he feels anyway and he just graciously patiently listens to jonah the best way to process strong feelings and displeasure here it is like jonah pray through it Pray it through. And listen, I'm not advocating, please don't misunderstand, being disrespectful like Jonas tone here. He is getting a little disrespectful. <laughs> I'm not advocating that, but what I'm saying is God can handle my honesty. He knows what's going on in my heart and mind anyway. I don't have to fake it with God. He can handle my honesty, my, my just being very real and raw with him. And this is what Jonah does. He's so displeased and angry for God sparing the Ninevites. Look what he goes, says now. He prays and says, Ah, oh Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? He says, Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a righteous and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm, so look what Jonah is doing. He, verse two, he's sort of almost questioning God here. He's kind of like taking a stance where he's starting to almost like suddenly rebuke God for what he did, and he's kind of putting God into this corner in his mind. He's kind of backing God into the corner with the "I told you so" speech. He says, "Lord, I this is what I told you when you before the whole whale thing, Lord." That whole process, you could have spared all that. Well, I told you this before you even put me. I knew this is what was going to happen. He says, that's why as soon as you gave that assignment, I was trying to make it better for you. That's why I just ran away. I tried to flee to Tarshish and just eliminate this whole episode and process. And really what he's saying is verse two is he's saying, I knew that you were so stinking nice like this. You're just such a softy when people want to turn away from evil, and you're so soft and you're so willing to let people change and forgive them and give them a second chance. And he he angrily in verse two there, as if it's a character flaw in God, says there, I knew he says that you're gracious and merciful and slow to anger, and you relent from doing harm. He knew this was God's nature. He says, Lord, I I knew you're 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 always so gracious, you always want to bless us when we don't deserve it and 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 you're merciful you you don't give us the punishment that we genuinely deserve for our sin and wrongdoing and and I knew that you would be slow to anger that you it takes you so long to get angry with people and, and you're so patient with people that are doing things wrong and you know abusing your kindness in fact, you're abundant in loving kindness you're not just you know, loving, you're abundantly kind in your love to people. And, and of all things, you, you, you tend to relent from showing harm. That is, you, you look for any reason to not punish people. And he's kind of faulting God for his reputation. <laughs> Lord, I know this is what you're like. Everybody knows this is what you're like. And this is how God had revealed himself in Scripture and in his dealings with mankind to be this way, to be someone merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abundant loving kindness. It tells us in Psalm 86 verse 5, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all who call upon you. Listen, as Jonah's kind of almost in frustration faulting God for his character there in verse 2, please don't miss, it's very important to know, that is what God's character is. And Jonah knew that that's what God's character is. He knew that was God's nature. It's important that we know what God's nature is, even if it frustrates us that God's so much nicer than we are. (laughs) We should still know that is what God's nature is. I may not feel that way because I'm not that nice. I'm not that loving and patient and merciful. But let us never forget, that is how God is. I I read this section with Jonah's life and I think, how peculiar, Jonah knew this about God. He even, listen, he even experienced this from God. Has God not shown Jonah a lot of mercy already in this process? He even experienced God's mercy, but yet he was angry and displeased that God would treat people that he didn't like the same way. He was a recipient of God's mercy, but he was boiling mad that God would be merciful to someone else. Lord, I mean, I need your mercy, but how could you give it to them? I mean, this is really where he's at if you examine what his attitude is. You're amazing as people, though we are sinful and though we are incredibly flawed, how easy we find it to be so hard-hearted and cold-hearted towards other people. I mean, it's kind of sad. It's amazing the things we actually do get upset about and displeased with or why we even get angry at God sometimes. I mean, it's quite shocking. Verse three, look what Jonah goes on to say in his prayer. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is so angry and thinks that it would be better for God to just end his life than to have to face or accept something that he really would rather not have to deal with. I mean, this to me is the epitome of, you could talk about a prophet or an adult throwing a pity party and a temper tantrum. Apparently, it still happens. It happens with adults, and it happens with God's servants. We have the capacity to have a pity party and a temper tantrum. And really, why? Because like Jonah, maybe something doesn't turn out the way that we wish. And we were really hoping it was going to, and it doesn't turn out the way we wish. And all of a sudden we're in our pity party and our temper tantrum or, or maybe God works in a way different than we wanted him to. And doesn't unfold the way that we thought it should or where we find ourselves frustrated because we feel some injustices happened. That happens once in a while. And some thing has taken place and we feel slighted and, or maybe we just feel disappointed over some situation or even angry that our expectation, it didn't come to pass. And so then we find ourselves kind of like Jonah here with feelings of anger and disappointment, maybe discouragement and, and kind of, I don't know what it's like for you, like this tornado of emotion starts to arise within us. And we find this tornado of emotions and thoughts and we become so overwhelmed. Maybe we even just think it's better to just die and escape this world. I'm just, Lord, take me home early. You hasn't prayed that before. Just take me home early. I know I'm saved. It's just anything, Lord. I don't want to have to face this and, and I don't want to have to accept this isn't what I wanted to deal with. This isn't the way that I wanted it to go and it could have gone different and, and we tell God we're done kind of, just end my life. Now notice Jonah here is not talking about suicide. He's not saying I'm going to take my life. He's basically just in a sense saying, God, I, I, I know that you control everything and I don't like what's happened and I don't want to have to deal with it. So Lord, I just take me home early. I'd rather just die than have to face this. So not in sorrow, but in severe anger, he just rebuffs off this statement, Lord, it's better for me to die than it is to live. Now, uh, listen, think about this. God could have answered his prayer. And God chose, I mean, the attitude he's having, the disrespectful tone, God could have just given him what he asked. It's better for me to die than to live. You know what, Jonah? Honestly, the angels are so stressed out taking care of you, buddy. (laughs) That is. I, this is the first time I agree with you, Jonah. Boop, you're gone. I mean, he, just, he could have done that. But God here again retreats into his mercy. And I'll tell you, aren't you glad that God sometimes does not answer a yes with every prayer or request that we launch before him? Because sometimes in our limited awareness and our human weakness and our thoughts and feelings, we can pray some pretty foolish things sometimes. We can say some pretty you know, off-the-wall things. Obviously, the way Jonah feels, he's in an emotional storm cloud. It's not right. It's not accurate. His perspective's distorted. And what Jonah really needs is just an attitude adjustment from his Heavenly Father. That's what he needs. He just needs God to give him a little help and work him through. And God, would shows us here, would rather more patiently work with us through our issues, help us to grow, help us to process things than he would to punish us. He's an incredibly patient father, an incredibly patient teacher, though we can be a little bit rebellious and disrespectful. So he throws this out. Now, notice as we go on to verse 4, Jonah snaps off this rebuke to God here, verse 3, and now in his anger, he responds this way. God now answers him in verse 4. It says, the Lord said to him, Is it right for you to be angry? Now, I'll tell you, that is kind of a searching question that really should have stopped Jonah right in his tracks right there. Jonah, is it really right for you to be angry over this? To be angry? And perhaps, I don't know, maybe God would be asking one of you this morning regarding something you're angry about or upset over, is it right for you to be angry over this? Sometimes God has to stop us and ask us, and he has to say to look, I know that you feel very justified. I know that you think it's right from your personal perspective or from your hurt feelings over the matter, but when properly considering all things, is it really right that you'd be angry over this? And maybe perhaps even the emphasis sometimes for us is on a particular word maybe God is saying is it right for you to be angry over this or, or maybe the emphasis is on the word you is it right for you to be angry over this for, for you you have the right to be angry after the way you behaved after what you've done as well you have the right to be angry or maybe sometimes the word is even the emphasis on anger. Is it right for you to be angry over this? I mean, disappointed, let down, ups- but but angry? Are you, is it right to be angry over this and angry at me, Jonah, of all people? Well, Jonah silences and doesn't say much more at this moment, but you can tell he's still pouting, verse 5, because Jonah went out of the city, took his toys and went home went and sat on the east side of the city where he made himself a shelter and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. So Jonah now in frustration, he didn't get his way and like a typical you know temper tantrum kind of pity party moment. He's so upset by God's niceness, he just departs in disappointment now, doesn't say anything, goes out of the city, sets up a shelter where he could be shaded from the hot mid-eastern sun and it says there in verse 5, He waits there till he might see what would become of the city. The language seems to indicate he is so displeased and angry still. He's wanting to see what might become of the city. The idea is maybe God will change his mind. Maybe if I wait him out or maybe, maybe my passionate complaint there. Maybe I feels so just maybe my passionate complaint might persuade God to rethink this. Or maybe they'll mess up just one more time. Just one person will do the slightest thing and that'll break the threshold, break the limit and God will reassess and reconsider and and God will still judge them. And in Jonah's mind, as he's sitting there under the shade tree out on the exit of the city where he's at, I, I really firmly believe that Jonah was waiting to see if God still might judge the city and if he was going to, Jonah wanted like a box seat. I mean, he just wanted to be able to see it. Come down he's going to wait to see what might become and just i mean you talk about the rawness of humanity he's just sitting there still frustrated over all this and god now watch what's going to happen is going to patiently keep educating his misbehaving child and student here verse six the lord god then prepared a plant made it come up over jonah that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him notice from his misery So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So God displays his nature, which Jonah just accused him of, of being very gracious, very merciful, slow to anger and abundant in kindness. The Lord seeing Jonah in his pouting, miserable, frustrated temper tantrum, watching the city still hoping maybe God's going to change his mind and overthrow the whole thing. And God lovingly, patiently, mercifully sees Jonah in misery from the hot sunlight beating down on his head. As the God of creation, it says, verse 6, the Lord compassionately prepares this plant, this large leafy plant. It seems to kind of just grow up instantaneously, kind of a miraculous work of creation. It grows up quickly and provides shade for Jonah to deliver him from the misery of the sunlight. How merciful and loving of God to do such a thing when Jonah's having about the worst attitude anybody could have. I mean, he doesn't deserve God being kind to him right now, but God chose to be abundant in kindness and shows him his patience and love. And Jonah, verse 6, was really grateful. It really felt wonderful to have some mercy from the consequences of sitting out there pouting in the hot mid-eastern desert. So he's appreciating this shade that God gave in a merciful way to him. But verse 7, as morning dawned the next day, God then prepared a worm and it damaged the plant so that it withered. So God wanting to indicate still that he's in charge, that he's in control of all things, now wants to give an object lesson. And so what he does, the next day he chooses, it says here, to cause that same plant that he created the day before miraculously to basically be destroyed. And the shade is taken away. It says God, notice again, God prepared the worm. God prepared the plant. Now God prepares the worm and it damages the plant. And God is using life events for education for Jonah. And I found God really is good at doing that. God is a way to orchestrate and prepare and control life events and he uses life events as a great educational tool for us. And so now, God leaves Jonah without the plant and now he's exposed and he's left to deal with the outcome really of his choice to go pow out in the hot desert sun. And verse 8, this isn't going to sit well with Jonah, you know that, verse 8, it happened When the sun arose, notice again that God prepared now a vehement east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So God again orchestrates some difficulty and discomfort. As a part of this whole process of teaching Jonah, God prepares a hot wind and he causes the sun to just start beating down, scorching on Jonah's head. And what God's doing is he's letting Jonah sense the difference between when God's being merciful to him and God takes away his mercy. Because God takes away his shade plant. And that shade plant was God's mercy to spare him from the misery of going out and pouting in the middle of a desert. So God basically works in a way now and he says, you know what? Maybe, Jonah, you need to recognize the difference, what it wouldn't be like if I was not directly, constantly, always involved in your life, being nice to you, showing kindness to you and mercy to you and and always doing things to spare you. So he lets Jonah for this brief moment experience a small taste of what it would be like if God wasn't gracious, if God wasn't merciful, as the sun and desert wind are scorching him and making him miserable, he's growing faint and he goes to his default, says Jonah again, wish death for himself, saying it's better to die than to live. Anything's better than this hot sun and no shade and sunburn, just, I'd rather just die. So verse nine, again, God speaks to Jonah and says again, is it right, Jonah, For you to be angry about the plant? Do you really have a right to be angry because a plant just died? And before, notice, God can continue speaking, Jonah interrupts him in verse 9. It is right for me to be angry, even to death. I mean, I just, I I can imagine the retort that's coming back and forth between the two of them here. Jonah is, I mean, so frustrated. He's hot. He's miserable now. Everything's not going his way. And you want to talk about a guy who's got an anger issue? This guy needs anger management classes. You want to talk about somebody who's demonstrating some real immaturity still? He's an adult, he's a servant of the Lord. But apparently, he really still has quite a bit to learn personally. He's got a little growing to do, like we all do. You know, we can look at Jonah and find a lot of reality regarding our own self, how here we are, servants of the Lord. I mean, Jonah knew a lot about God, right? I mean, think, think what he knew about God's nature. He knew a lot about God. He knew God well. He was even being used of God. But look at the way he's behaving personally. Look at him in his humanity, and the weakness of his flesh, the way he's responding. He's so frustrated with God. It is right for me to be angry over this plant dying. Yeah, I, it's, I'm angry to the point of I could just die myself. And God, verse 10, in total contrast, again, shows how slow to anger he is compared to Jonah. He patiently continues on. The Lord said to him, verse 10, you have had pity on a plant for which you've not labored, nor made it grow. Which came up in a night and perished in a night. So God wants Jonah to see the error of his reasoning, and he now reproves him, gently but honestly, for his very immature perspective and attitude. Jonah was having pity and concern for the survival of a plant. A plant that he didn't give life to, he didn't create it, he didn't sustain it, he didn't take care of it, he wasn't involved in the plant's development and he made no investment, and not to mention the plant was a temporal thing. It only lasted for a day. It was there for a day. That was its existence. He says, Jonah, you're this upset about this plant. You didn't create it. You didn't care for it. And on top of it, it it came up in a night, and it perished in a day. You're greatly concerned about what happened to something you didn't create. You weren't responsible for and something that really was just a value to you. And he says, if you feel that way about a rather meaningless temporal plant, verse 11, and should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? God's point to Jonah, Jonah, How can you not understand? How can you not grasp why I'm concerned for people? Jonah, he says, you feel justified in your concern that a plant would be spared. A plant that you didn't create, you didn't take care of. A plant that that, that had a day-long existence. How much more justified is God in His concern and compassion For people, for human beings, a loving God, a creator of all people who lives in a way to really enjoy humanity as the object, the crowning glory of his creation. How much more God would care about people because again, unlike plants, people are created in the image of God. They're the most valuable and important thing in God's creation, and people, unlike plants, aren't temporary. They're eternal souls. They have an eternal destiny. So God rebukes Jonah's distorted perspective with proper reasoning. He says, Jonah, should not I, a loving, merciful, compassionate God, not have pity, not have mercy, not have forgiveness and and compassion on this great city, he says, of which are 120,000 persons who can't even discern between their right hand and their left. No doubt, probably a reference to young children. 120,000 who don't even yet know their right from their left yet. Well, what God's trying to say to Jonah, Jonah, there are 120,000 just naive children in that city. And if I were to just judge that city, there are just alone 120,000 young kids who don't even know the difference between the right and the left who would basically be punished for their parents' evil and their sin. Which gives us an idea. This city, if that was the young children, probably was upwards to five, six 600,000 people. Hundreds of thousands of people. God saw hundreds and thousands of lost souls, which he created which he cared for, which he put a lot of time and effort and investment into and that he was burdened for souls that were eternal, souls that needed God's light and God's love and God's mercy to be changed. And this reminds us, this section, how God values people. Listen, God values people over everything else in the created order. He values people more than any material thing, more than any worldly accomplishment, more than anything that I think is best or me having my way in anything. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 10 10, emphasized how people are of much more value than anything else. When he was talking about the birds of the air, he said uh, regarding people, are you not of much more value than they? Listen, God values people. One commentator said this. I think it was good. He said, Jonah's affections were distorted. He cared more for a vine than for human beings. He cared more for his personal comfort than for the spiritual destiny of hundreds of thousands of people. God values people. God wants to reach people, help people, save people. Listen, that's God's highest aim in why this world exists. It's not to get the most stuff. It's not to have the funnest life. It's not to get to pursue all our ambitions and dreams. And Listen, nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But God values people and this should cause us to search our hearts. What is our value system, especially as God's children, as God's servant? What is our value system? Do we have more interest and concern in plants and pets and material things than we do people? The way, honestly, if you look at the most, let's be very real, of American culture, the answer to that would be yes. The way that we live as Americans in many ways truly conveys that we put more value in plants and pets and prosperity and material things than we really do people. Our lifestyles reflect that. Do we put more value upon and effort into maintaining our comfort like Jonah than helping and reaching and serving people? You know, this is a great section and really a good book as an overall story to cause us to evaluate these kind of things and maybe make a correction to our lifestyle if needed. To maybe reevaluate the reason that we still exist here, why we're saved and why we haven't gone to heaven yet. May God give us a heart and a renewed perspective towards the value of people and reaching people and helping people and doing what we can to be an influence for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's pray.